Hello, everyone, and welcome to All the Way Down, the podcast. We, this is uh, this is episode four. We are talking, again, a little bit more about just the games we've been playing, um, whether they be recent or, or, you know, super fresh in the memory or not. Um, I guess, you know, some awful experiences can leave lasting scars, so you don't really need to have played them recently. <laughs> so I guess uh, we'll start it off. Um, I... I think I think mine is going to be a little bit lengthier than I thought it was going to be. So if you'd like to start with the game you've been playing, that'd be awesome. Uh, sure. So I um did not play more Bravely Default two this week. So you you can all be spared that. <laughs> uh, well, let me talk about actually a, a game I played a little bit ago that I I've been dying to tell someone about. There's this little Steam game called The Wizard and the Slug that is awesome. Uh, it's I think it's made by one guy. I want to say it's one guy that did all of the artwork and coding and story and soundtrack and stuff. Um, but even though it is like a platformer, uh, it's kind of really most heavily... Uh, a story game, I think. Um, it's interesting because, like, I saw the game. Be I saw it on Camel's channel at first, hmm. and when you first look at this game, if you're to look it up, kind of the first thing that comes that you see is, oh my god, the graphics are kind of terrible, hmm. and like the like the artwork is really simple and not like outstanding. It looks like a super cheap game that would be two dollars and only exists to generate Steam cards uh, for some kind of weird back-end money laundering or something. I don't know. But, it's, but that, you know, that, so that's, like, initially what it looks like, right? But the uh, – so you play as the slug, and then right away you meet this wizard. And the wizard, he, he actually looks kind of cool. His, his like, uh, design is charming and nice, uh, which is good because his name is Charm, the wizard. And – so you start off, it's just, it's kind of a plat, it, well, it's a platformer, right? So you play as this slug, and the main gameplay mechanic is like the size of the slug and how that affects what's going on. You are kind of slug, and if you get hit, you get hit down into medium sized slug, and if you get hit again, you turn down into tiny slug, and if you ever get hit while you're tiny, you die. Uh, but if you sit there for a second, eventually you grow and you grow. You know, it takes a, only a couple seconds to regenerate uh, your health. Now, here's the kicker, though. So you have an attack, but you attack by throwing out part of your slug body. As in, when you attack, you essentially take damage because you go down one size in order to throw a ball that attacks, right? Also, that's how you double jump. So when you jump, you can double jump, which it shoots a ball downward like an attack, and you lose one size, and you do like a double jump. Uh, so it's pretty interesting the way that it's like you can't just mash attacks at enemies because that reduces you down to one HP, and, it's, and that's risky, you know? Um, so it kind of becomes about like timing out your shots uh, to get bigger again between each of the, each of your attacks and stuff. Uh, and then like, that's how like it limits your, 
double jumps that way, and the other kind of neato thing about it is that there are certain platforms that behave differently depending on the size of your slug also. There are like, there are things that you bounce off of if you're small, but if you're big, you're fa you fall through them. So like, sometimes you'll come up across a platforming thing where you'll want to be big so that you so that you fall through a couple platforms and then maybe you double jump over to another one that now that you're small you bounce off of it because you're small um and that kind of thing and yeah so it, the the platforming is pretty fun and the combat is like pretty fun the whole game has definitely a bit of looseness to it though where like it's not like Wings of V or Bloodstained, like, super hyper-precision, you know? It's pretty loosey-goosey as far as, like, how it actually feels. Um, but it definitely feels good enough to where when there's some precise stuff happening, you can hit it, you know, if you play well, and it feels good, and it feels rewarding. I guess at this but, point we should mention, though, that this you said this is a platformer. Um, yeah. I, I looked up what the gameplay kind of looks like, and it looks like it's going for like legit old school NES art style platforming, which is it looks really good. But I can see what you mean by this animated GIF file. These these like all super loosey, like floaty kind of moving over somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of floaty, right? Exactly. Um, so what happens when you play this game though? It's it's kind of crazy, like just how um. I mentioned that, like, the very first impression that everyone is going to have is, why isn't this game $2 because of the artwork, you know? But when you get playing it, though, the first thing that really stood out to me when I saw it on somebody's stream, uh, the thing that stood out to me and was like, maybe I should get this game, is the writing. Like, mm. this game is legitimately hilarious. Oh, good. As in, like... Yeah, like there's uh, there's lots of there's lots of dialogue uh, as you're platforming around. There's plenty of like cutscenes. There's lots of like little little characters that you run into. Uh, some of them you run into a few times. And man, the writing is hilarious. Like the game is like I I you know I I feel like um there does, aren't does it, very is many it like games. Is it rated kind of or because it looks very, uh, mm. looking at the artwork? My first thought is Happy Tree Friends. So I think like super cartoony, new groundsy kind of style. But the game mm -hmm. style, the gameplay is not like that. Um, maybe even just like the slightest bit in the color use. It's like it's like a, a bright pink and blue Happy Tree Friends squirrel kind of art. But like you're saying it's hilarious, but is it actually like kids kind of hilarious or is it No, adult I think humor? it's like... I. Uh, it's hard to say, as in, like, okay, so when I say it's adult humor, that doesn't mean it's, like, sex jokes. Mm -hmm. It just means that it's, like, a it's a very nuanced humor okay. that adults will find funny because it's not just slapstick for kids. It's not just meme jokes for kids, you know. It's, like, it's like legitimately clever, well-written, funny jokes and stuff, uh, which, like, I don't know. I, I um... Maybe it, it just hits my personal sense of humor really well, but uh, but yeah, I like I found myself laughing while I played this game way more uh, than than most games that I play ever. Um, it's good. So so that really stands out at first. Like it's super super well written, but then like 
as as it goes on, there is this kind of B story that's happening that is also like legitimately compelling. Like it's like there's some really good serious dramatic dialogue that's written for these people uh that you're kind of getting a little taste of as you go and so as you go you know you're the slug but the wizard who's with you charm he's the one carrying most of the dialogue when you run into other characters he's the one who talks to him the most and uh, well you're a slug you don't talk um so he he's the one who who speaks to him he's the one who's like in these uh, B story cutscenes and that kind of thing, uh, and it's really kind of his journey and story that starts to unfold. Is the um, story anything kind of like, I don't know, when I hear the title or when I hear the name "The Wizard and the Slug," that's the name, right? The Wizard and the Slug. Yeah. I think I, the first thing that comes to my mind is some kind of weird story sung by Jethro Tull. Like it, it sounds <laughs> like a Jethro Tull song, but I guess. It's it looks a little bit more childish. Um, so it 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 definitely puts on that air like early on, but mm. the further that you get into the game, it's it, I I found it really fascinating the way that like the further you get into the game, the more the serious tone of it kind of starts to take over, and uh, and the more you start to like really care about the wizard character himself because as the game goes you start to kind of learn a lot about him as a character and he's very um like i think that this game is a perfect example of like how characters need to i'm i'm trying not to spoil things that are specific okay. um but like he's a perfect example of a character who's flawed but very likable you know like he's super likable just the way that he talks and how funny a lot of the cutscenes are um so he's and, like iron man before any character development whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> um but like a as you're going though you start to realize like the flaws that he has and and the way that he thinks and stuff um and it and it becomes like really really compelling and and you start to I don't know. I I found myself like really attached to him as a character, um, and and those kinds of things were were really good. And like the further you get into the game, just the I feel like the more the drama starts to kind of out or uh, uh, show itself more and more. And at that point, because of all the comedy early on, and because of how genuinely well written everything is, I think the drama stuff that happens at the end, like it really nails. And so. By the end of the game, I just started to notice, like, like first of all, um, how much I cared about the characters and how much I cared about the story, you know? Like, that was really driving me. But then also, like, the difficulty was getting into a really good spot where I think that if you're into precision platformers, I think this game is overall easier than some of the other uh, some of the other big precision platformers out there. Like, I talk about Wings of V all the time. It's not nearly that hard, right? Overall, it's easier, but near the end, it is starting to be like a really decent challenge, and some of the designs of the of the levels are really neat and cool. 
And uh, but then also you're like, oh, also the artwork is getting better. Like the later stages of the game look a lot better than the earlier stages. And the soundtrack seems to be getting better, maybe like the later music in the game is better than the earlier music. And by the end, it's like the whole thing is just like, holy shit, like this game is super solid. Yeah. Uh, And then and then I, I can't stress enough, though, that it's really like the story and the writing that that really like it crescendos really nicely. There's an emotional the, element to it, I assume. Totally. Like the the ending is super super good and You know what that sounds yeah. exactly like um not necessarily the platformer elements, but it reminds me a lot of uh when I played Valiant Hearts. You ever played that? Mm, no, I haven't. Uh I want to say it's Ubisoft. Um it is a platformer puzzle game. Um slash I, I guess adventure if you can throw it in that category but uh it's it's it definitely lo- okay it starts off with this not so it's not so very kid kind of friendly but it's um a cartoony look at what it would have been like if you were a 2d character in world war one and in europe as it's about to start and happen um and then it goes along the different story narratives of the different characters. But, like, there's not really any solid, super solid dialogue at all ever. It's just, like, a series of, like, cute little grunts and just, like, mm, when you select something on the screen. And then, uh, or there's just, be like, like, like a German soldier will just be babbling in German. Um, stuff like that. Uh, really super charming. L- the puzzles were pretty good. Uh, our mutual friend, Diane Camel, played it on stream. He hated it. Um, not a, to be expected, but he actually probably caught more bugs in that game than I've seen anyone have in their run. So I, I, that's, that's a fair judgment, uh, for his experience, but I didn't have too many issues. Um, but it's, it seems like they kind of follow on the same path of just like cutesy, but like, oh shit, this got heavy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and on that note too, like one kind of last thing that starts to show itself later in this game is like there's definitely a deep well thought out world behind the story that you're seeing, you know. You're seeing the story of the wizard and the slug in this one little thing, but especially especially toward the end, um there's a lot of just stuff going on in the background that that speaks to a world that will definitely be able to tell more stories, you know, like some interesting background elements. And that actually is something that is going to happen. I believe the, there is a sequel planned uh, for the game also. That's going to be a different story in the world. And I'm really excited for that. Cause, cause yeah, the uh, on, on top of as a self-contained thing, this game being really good, uh, the, there there's there looks to be a lot there to expand upon also so can i ask you a question i think i, I yeah would you call it would you argue that it is a retro styled game uh <laughs> i mean yeah yeah i would yeah, i mean uh, it's you know you load it up you play through it it's fun and then you're and then you know if you liked it play through it again there you go yeah just in case we needed to justify <laughs> Talking about new oh, games yeah, as know. as retro people. This, this game ain't no live service. Yeah, true. Uh, but yeah, I, I looked into the developer a little bit, and it's it, the the thing that I'm saying about the writing kind of makes sense because what what I kind of got out of who who, uh, who his, developed it? Like, sorry, 
uh, Silkworm Games, I think was the name of the company. Okay. Let it be known, though, actually, quick aside, uh, correction for last week, Bravely Default 2 is not developed by Silicon Studio. Hmm. They did make Bravely Default 1, and they made Bravely 2nd, but they did not make Bravely Default 2. That was made by, I think the company was called Claytech Works, or something like that. Yeah. And and you, um, you're right, this game is developed by Silkworm, um, and it came out of October 2nd of last year. Uh, okay, but what yeah. I'm seeing is the all the reviews so far from like just on the side panel of the site uh, are mostly two out of five. How would you? Not that we're going to be rating games or anything like that, but if you had to rate it, do you find that accurate? No, I think uh, I think the only thing that I would look at this game and be like, yeah, that could have used more work is the artwork. Hmm. Uh, but dude the and, and like i i would also say that the, early on the soundtrack isn't like stellar it's only fine you know but then later in the game there's some there are some jams later in the game okay uh but yeah that that's it though i mean the story like really really does a lot for me the gameplay is fun it's got boss battles in it that are fun and uh, hell yeah, dude. The, the the concept is also interesting. Just like the the way that um, the way that attacking and double jumping uses the same resource as getting hit. You know, the way that like health isn't so much of a concept in the game, but rather it's like the size of your slug. I think that that's super unique and interesting, and and oh, it works out really okay. well. Okay, so it's kind of like. It's kind of like um, like Spyro, you know. You'll have at least in the classic sense. Uh, did you play Spyro? I think you said you didn't. Actually. Yeah. Oh, you did. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's it's your form changes. Like you get a dragonfly when you have a hit point. You get a, a mm-hmm. golden dragonfly that's all like glowy and buzzy when you have two hit points. Kind of like Crash Bandicoot, where Crash Bandicoot had uh, you know his normal face and he could have the uh, the uh, Uka Uka mask, and yeah, uh, yeah. and and that would. Pre- prevent him from dying on a single hit that sort of yeah, thing yeah. i think it was aku aku uka uka was the evil one from crash bandicoot that's War. true yeah I, I i can't remember but <laughs> yeah essentially that so you're, yeah. you're just a you're just so, a bigger slug because yeah in right because like in crash when you get the third mask then it becomes like the star in mario and then you lose it afterward so like the idea of like what is your health is kind of played with in a gameplay in a gameplay stance as well uh or like in mario the way that when you're big you can crush blocks but when you're small you can fit through smaller areas so even though it's technically your health it all there's also utility to both forms you know it's like that idea but sort of made into like an actual main mechanic that you that you deal with a lot more and yeah i think i think that that's it's really interesting and it's it's used well in the uh in the world um, there's also just, I, it's one of those games where there's a lot of secrets, you know, tons of like little secret things to find with extra cutscenes and stuff that are great. Uh, the, you know, there's, there's, um, there's some unlockable, uh, like there's a unlockable ability or the, there are unlockable abilities throughout the game and even one that's tied to secrets and stuff. So you get rewarded for secret hunting and all that. So as far as that, whoa, what did you do to me on the video? Um, I Believe it or not, <laughs> I tried to get rid of all the green. Uh, <laughs> so, um, 
So, yeah, I mean, nah, it's, it's definitely not a two out of five game. This game is fucking baller, dude. That's like, good. I, I would really recommend it, and um, I'm super pumped to see more from this developer because uh, I think he's got good ideas for game design, and he's got a hella good idea for a world to make games take place in. And uh, What's, there was one other thing that I forgot. Well, you mentioned how it kind of the game really made you feel like you weren't uh, the center of the universe. It was kind of like you felt like kind of minuscule in the universe. What was the universe exactly like? So it's uh, it's been a little while. It sounds so a little, uh, you know, it sounds a little car like kids cartoony Rick and Morty. Um. It, I think it definitely has a, a look to it that that you could say that. As in, like, a lot of the characters in the game were silly, kitty, cartoony type, uh, type, type characters. There's, like, a banana man that you <laughs> run into a few times. There's actually several fruits uh, that you run into several times. There's the, the banana and the orange are, like, rivals that you keep running into, and they're... they're mad at each other all the time uh and they have they have a whole like you know how there's a stories and b stories right they've got this like like g story way back there you know that has an entire arc throughout the game uh but yeah you know there's like you run into some cats and some dust mites uh and and you speak to them so there's a lot of that kind of silly stuff, uh, especially earlier in the game. And then later when starts to, stuff starts to get more dramatic, though, there, there are like a couple races of beings that or species that are more fantasy and I think more original also. Uh, like there's, there's, a, there's like a, a species of bird people. Um, there's a whole bunch of like elementals, you know, the, of different forms and that kind of thing. And they seem to have a whole like political system behind the game or behind the scenes that, uh, and that's what I'm saying about there being like kind of a, a deep lore. I kind of hate using that word, but <laughs> there's like a deep, there seems to be a lot of lore behind the scenes, you know, uh, that has to do with like the elementals relationship with each other. Uh, as well as the the bird people and all that. So again, later in the game, it get, it gets uh, it gets a lot less kitty feeling. My, um, my favorite lore is lore uh, that is just completely irrelevant. Like it doesn't even <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's just up. They oh, made sure. a point to throw it in there. Like mm -hmm. I was thinking, uh, if you're talking about you hate you you hate using the word lore, but I'm thinking the best context I've ever heard you, the, the word lore being used in is like. Well, I won't go into specifics, but you know what I mean. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so yeah, lastly, um, the when I looked into the developer a little bit, uh, it kind of sounded like it, it makes sense that the writing is so good because it, it kind of sounded like he mostly came up with this world, came up with the story, and like a, a game was just the most favorable thing for him to put the story into as far as oh, mediums go. You know, so it. it yeah, it kind of sounded like the idea of it being a game came after the story was already written. Um, I'm not seeing anything else by uh, by Silkworm on Steam. So, yeah, like, is it their first game? I think so, yeah. Okay. Interesting. 
But yeah, I I would 100% recommend checking it out. Like I I can't stress enough. For the first half, it's fucking hilarious. You will laugh more than most games make you. And the second half then, legitimately compelling, dramatic, suspenseful. It's awesome. Nice. The Wizard and the Slug on Steam. I think it said 9.99. Sounds about right. Not bad. My game has a has a little bit of a storied history. My game is Shenmue 3. Um Shenmue 3 is not a retro game, but it is the continuation of a the, the long anticipated continuation of a of a retro series. Uh the retro series was initially planned, well, the Shenmue series was initially planned on the Sega Saturn. Um I think if I, I want to say the main character Ryo Ryo Hazuki, um, I think he was developed uh, as as part of a Virtua Fighter character. Like a Virtua Fighter character is kind of a lot like this character, and I think Yu Suzuki wanted to create uh, a story narrative kind of focused game where the idea was to feel completely immersed. And he wanted to use the assets he had, I think. So he would go from Virtua Fighter. Yu Suzuki, if you guys don't know who that is, uh, pretty pretty huge figure in uh, Sega of Japan. Um, he's responsible for a lot of stuff. Shenmue, Shenmue being like, you know, just one of the things that he did. Um, you mentioned Virtua Fighter. Isn't like the fighting engine in the first Shenmue based on the Virtua Fighter engine? The fighting in Shenmue is loosely based off of Virtua yeah. Fighter. Virtua Fighter is actually a highly technical, uh, highly technical fighter. I haven't even I haven't had the chance to play it yet. I really want to, but. Um, it it manages to do way more with way less. Like the buttons are like punch, kick, block, and everything else is based on movement, timing, pacing, area, everything. It's 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 crazy. Um, but the reason I wanted to talk a little bit about Yu Suzuki was because he he's known for a lot of different shit. Um, as a director, a producer. Virtua Cop, Virtua Fighter, Virtua Fighter 2, Afterburner, like a lot of the old school Sega arcade things, he is known as like playing a huge part in. Like um, Hang On, Space Harrier, Outrun. Like if you're if you're any into retro games, you you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, but he, yeah. He, he wanted I, Outrun. To... I think is is the big one for me. But yeah. also Afterburner was that um that was a Sega thing. Mm, yep, Sega's AM2, I believe. I want to say AM2. I want to say is the division uh, responsible for doing like gotcha. a fuck ton of yeah. stuff like that. Afterburner on NES was one of my big games growing up. Uh, so yeah, I I didn't know it was a Sega thing because I I've always thought of it primarily as an nes game just because that you know that's that's what i had yeah i did play it in arcades once though and i'm, I'm guessing that's probably more uh that's pro- might have been back when yeah because sega is sega has always been like arcade focused over anything it's just not the whole world market didn't get to see that um but yeah am2 am2 is Yu suzuki's team as well um Virtua Fighter, Outrun, Virtua Cop, Daytona USA, Virtua Striker, Fighting Vipers. 
I don't think, dude. I played so much Daytona USA. Yeah. My neighbors had a Sega Saturn growing up, and I always wanted to play Daytona USA. You know why? Specific. There's a very specific reason, and this is just how my child nerd brain worked. Was that like in Daytona USA, you could play the game in like first. It was like first person, but you couldn't see the whole steering wheel or anything. You just saw the hood of your car yeah. on the bottom of the screen. And when you got into car accidents, the hood of the car would actually crunch up and stuff. And that damage the on physics, the car that yeah. you could see from first person just fascinated me. As a and they kid. were like so NASCAR, wanted... like stock cars too. So yeah. it's something you were yeah, already yeah, yeah. used to seeing. And they're like, oh shit, this has realistic physics and every Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's you Suzuki essentially. Um, and then he goes, hang on. I want to essentially create a life simulator. And so... He gets to work on the Sega Saturn. I think they find out pretty early on in development that it just couldn't handle the ambitious project. So they kind of bench it until the Dreamcast is out, and uh, the Dreamcast is what they went with. Dreamcast handled it, but um, I still think there were some technical limitations that the team faced from the get-go, and this is like a launch title. So they're hitting they're they're hitting the glass ceiling right, right away. Um but it didn't manage to like be bad like everyone asked me okay legit straight up should i play shenmue and i say yes is it good and i don't answer (laughs) because like (laughs) shenmue uh i'm talking about shenmue 3 but you the beauty of it is (laughs) the double-edged sword of it is that Every Shenmue game is a Shenmue game. So you play one game, you kind of play them all. It's just you're missing the story of it. And then that's also uh, (laughs) the real problem. So Shenmue 3 is a game that was developed in Unreal 4. And uh, it it definitely looks like it. Now that I know after our conversation, I know know we can identify with uh, elements of Unreal now. But it looks like it. And... That's not to say it looks bad. It actually looks fucking beautiful. Shenmue 3, the environments are gorgeous. Um, the humans, I'm going to fault this way more up to the design team and not Unreal because it's... Okay, you have to understand the context of Shenmue. Shenmue is like uh, the spiritual mother-father game of... Of, of the Yakuza series. The Yakuza series is known for having incredibly, you know, like, it, it's a cartoon in real life, essentially. So it's it's kind of like that, except way toned down, because that just didn't exist yet. Um, so there are definitely cartoony elements to it, and uh, things that'll happen that wouldn't seem like they'd be in real life. And then the game makes it way too painfully apparent that it's trying to be... Uh, trying to be a life simulator essentially like it's the only game where i've looked at a game i've looked at the environment and go oh my god this is so beautiful and realistic looking i'm gonna run to the other edge of the village right through here like maybe just like a 20 second run run to the edge of this village and uh by the end of it i'm actually literally starving to death i can't i can't move i'm stuck like not even walking in place just like slumping in a certain direction and not moving but advancing and then your rio just talks to you narrates to you the player going i won't be worth anything if i don't eat 
<laughs> I'm going to be useless if I don't eat something. And it's just like, dude, I, I, so you have to like get down to the economy of how much money, how, how many, how many health points per dollar can I get? Because you have to eat in this game. It's the only way you recover stamina aside from just going to bed at night. Um, and this is by far the worst part of this game. This doesn't exist in the prior games. The other, the prior games had no problem with this, but in this game specifically, yeah, so, you the stamina so system. So what you're describing is that when you when you run in town, it reduces your health. When you run, it reduces your health. When you walk, what is this? When you exist, fucking it reduces your health. L- <laughs> fucking lunar dragon song all over again. I haven't played that, but. <laughs> I, I imagine there's a reason I haven't even heard of it. <laughs> but yeah, dude, the, the first two Shenmue games do not do this. This is just kind of their way of uh, making it more lifelike in, in 2021. Um, they made a game... Th- okay, this is a team fully capable of making Yakuza, and they make Shenmue, meaning they make every last piece awkward ill-timed not poorly or not properly localized to english and honestly like they they did what valve won't do with half-life 3 they left you on a cliffhanger with a story and uh didn't do anything for like 20 years and then all of a sudden they come out with something valve doesn't have the balls to do that and 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 they did that and uh and they made it as a fan service game. Yu Suzuki himself has stated that he thinks another Shenmue will happen, but it's not going to be like Shenmue 3, which is a very fan-centric game. Like so he he's very he's very self-aware that he made a game that's super awkward, very weird, um way too in-depth on certain things and uh way too awkward on the things that it should be doing right. And man. Okay, so let me ask. Go you. ahead. The awkwardness, the weird dialogue, and the ill timing of everything, those things were present in the first two games, right? They were, um, but that's what I'm saying. They wanted to make the game like that. They wanted to make it not like Yakuza and everything like Shenmue. Um, And and to, to give you guys an idea of what I'm talking about, if you've never seen or played the first Shenmue... You essentially, I'm not going to spoil the story, but you are Ryo Hazuki. You are the son. Um, I actually want to say you might be even be, no, you're not, you might be adopted. I can't remember. But uh, you were the son of the head, uh, head of the dojo in your town in Japan called Yokosuka. And uh, you come home. Be from being a high school delinquent, like street fighter kind of brawler, you know, bully kind of kid. You come home one day and your dad, uh, you witness your dad being murdered by a weird looking dude from China uh, with a ponytail. <laughs> and uh, But now you are also from China. No, you're right? in Japan. You're a Japanese family. Oh, oh yeah. I suppose Ryo is a very Japanese yeah, name. Yeah, okay, Ryo Hazuki. Yep. <laughs> uh, his name is Lan Di. Or Landy, as as even Corey Marshall, who's the voice of Ryo Hazuki in English, will will say. Um, he streams, by the way. Shout out to him. He's cool. Uh, he <laughs> he uh, you, you you witness this guy killing him, 
uh, using some crazy martial arts. I'm talking like this. This is an actual, like, real dramatic happening. Uh, but the plot is a 70s kung fu movie. <laughs> Does that make sense? So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're seeing the plot of a 70s kung fu movie villain unfold right in front of you kills your dad leaves in like his 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 v12 toyota century uh a a limousine with a driver um and then you go what the fuck was that i'm gonna chase after him and then like your brother and your mother go no 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 you will die and so you you're this you're this high school dropout dude who's who doesn't go to high school you essentially play rio hazuki you want to uncover who landi is where he's going uh, you you eventually find out he has like mob connections like with the with the triads and with the with the yakuza too I think, and uh, it gets into like mysticism and 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 things get real deep and like the the whole just keeps going further as you play the game but the whole time you're playing it what you're doing is you're going around town you're walking around town you're going oh shit uh i need money i need to go to the docks to see if i can find a job because i gotta follow Landy. i need money i gotta see where he's getting he's gonna be leaving soon he's taking a boat uh i gotta get i gotta go get a job i gotta go uh fucking drive an elevator an elevator uh uh uh, god damn it a forklift and uh move shit around uh because it's a it's a loading dock it's a shipping place and then yeah you're you're, you're living the life of someone you say oh shit i gotta find i got info about the guy i i gotta meet him at this part of town at a certain time and you go to that place in town and it says the hours of that business that are open and it's open and you have to wait you don't really just there's no really there's no fast traveling there is uh there's no hand holding at all in order to find out where you need to go you need to talk to the town people um and you got to do the right dialogue and everything and yeah eventually the it, it's a real slow burn experience and eventually you'll get to bits and pieces of combat and it's going to scare you every time because a a lot of them start off with QTEs and Shenmu QTEs are the fastest, most brutal QTEs of any I've played. Meaning they're the best QTEs of any QTE game ever. Um, okay, real yeah. quick, I want you to describe to me in in like intimate detail what these QTEs look like. Whoa! The shut the fuck up. Triangle right now. Down or you're gonna die. <laughs> but hang on, like where is it on the screen? Oh. How is it being shown? To very you? quick beep. Very quick flash. So there's a beep, like it, 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 it'll, go, it'll go, it'll go, twing, and then like it'll put up the put up the thing, and then you have to hit it. But like it'll it'll it won't flash. It'll be on screen the whole time that it's there that you need to hit it that it lets you. Yep. But that window of time is very small compared to like right, God of right. War. So where where is the button? Is it like is it like a icon in the middle of the screen that's all four face buttons and just one of them is lit up? Or it is, is it one like the single is over the guy's one single fist button that's coming at you? no no one single button in the center of the screen uh, right in the middle X triangle down arrow left arrow it, yeah it doesn't show the whole okay, scheme okay. it just throws a button at you and you got to guess what it is gotcha but it's always right in the middle I believe so yeah it's never it doesn't follow these are just ve- these are very important details to me well I'm assuming <laughs> you're asking because maybe it's like that in Yakuza which is probably a pretty cool detail. 
No, no. It's just sometimes games like uh, I I feel like sometimes they present their QTEs in ways that are like um, distracting you from what you're supposed to be doing. Like uh, like I'll, I'll say like God of War gets around this. God of War makes the Q three specifically mm -hmm. makes the QTEs really quickly identifiable because. If it's a triangle, for example, that's the top face button, right? That triangle will appear at the top of the game screen, and the whole top of the screen will have like a they call it what what like a vignette effect yes. or whatever when it kind of when it kind of fades, yeah. right? So you, when you just see the top section of the screen of the whole screen kind of darken a little bit, and there's something there, you know, you got to hit triangle without even having to look at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Meanwhile, other games like Eve of Extinction for PS2 give you like a fucking sentence on the screen that says like press button really big and then under it is the button that you got to press. So it's like a little bit too much information for your brain like because there's words that you're supposed to read but then under that is the symbol that you're supposed to press and so then you got to uh, identify which one it is. It's way too you know busy, I mean? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. This, is, um, this is just pure... QTE and honestly I I don't think Shenmue is the first game to do QTEs but I do think it's the first game that I've ever played that did them really well um, you can contrast it to games like what's shit I'm not going to remember the full title but I think it was a Marvel game because the first video I ever saw about this video game was the very beginning we were playing Thor I think and Thor had just like done like a leap like an arc of a leap jumps up and uh, you get a QTE at the top of the leap telling you to do an attack on the people right here where you're going to land. But you see that. The action's, the action's going nuts. It's building. It's building. It's building. You're Thor. You go jump. You go, oh, and then, like, you're right at the top. And then, like, the whole game tries to build all that, like, just that, that tension. It just time slows. And then you realize that this is a cinematic effect, yes, but... It's also there to give you time as a beginner to realize what button to hit. And then <laughs> if you don't hit it, it just keeps going and slowing and going and slowing and stops. And the whole game will literally become silent. The, the audio track will finish. <laughs> it doesn't loop. It's not designed to loop. The whole oh, thing God. just goes black and it just stopped. I can't stand QTEs <laughs> like that because it's like it's basically like okay, so you're showing me a cutscene right now, yeah. right? But arbitrarily, you're just—it's it, like the game is arbitrarily just going and it's pressing the pause button <laughs> for you, and then it's randomly assigning what the play button is, and you got oh fuck, I got to get here's, oh, here's a movie with remote. some work. <laughs> and, okay, this time the play button is this button. Yep. Like, fuck off. I with hate. That stuff. Yeah, I hate that too. It's bullshit. And God of War was definitely guilty of that. I think. Um, I I don't think God of War is so. Not so as I'm talking specifically like QTEs that you can't fail. So okay, there's yeah. no reason for it to be there. You know, it's just pausing the game, and you have to press the button to continue it instead. I, I I don't automatically hate QTEs. There there's a few like defining characteristics to them that I think can make them be done well. Like uh, like one thing is, um, I, I I feel like you, 
one really important thing is to directly relate the button that you're pressing to an action. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mo- most of the time, this is done right. But it's like, you know, when that QTE comes up, you gotta, you should know as the player what's going to happen when you hit it, you know? Because that's the action that you're performing. Whether that's dodging something or hitting an attack or that kind of thing, right? An example of a game that doesn't do this well is Indigo Prophecy with those fucking Simon Says parts. I love you know Indigo Prophecy, about? though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, Indigo Prophecy has reasons to play it. But, like, you know what I mean? Where it'll come up with, like, a sequence of things you have to hit on the analog sticks, and so you do it. Yeah. But as you're doing it, you don't know what you're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I And I, I think that that makes a QTE a lot less effective. Where it's like, uh, uh, <laughs> where it's like okay, shit, um, I have to evade this cop. Both sticks outwards and then circle them down and then up inwards okay now now to the next scene it's like whoa what was this yeah i totally get the confusion over that um i didn't right. even think about that yeah that's interesting and then uh, i got a few other like with, with, uh I, without getting too far into qtes um yeah i, I just want to say with <laughs> with games that take their qtes to the point where you're basically playing beat mania it's mm-hmm. i don't know who those kinds of games are for because i can't i can't totally. get past them i'm not i'm not one of yeah, those kinds of i don't people. automatically hate qtes but there's a lot of things that make me hate them and yeah. uh for sure that that's an that's like how they can be implemented poorly you know i will say there's a few oh. things that make me like them though. i will say shenmue does a good job of what you said it does a good job of of kind of relating the inputs of the QTEs to the action happening. Um, Like, you're mostly going to be doing directional D-pad inputs when you're walking across a tightrope beam kind of situation. You're mostly going to be uh, doing up, down, or triangle, or X, uh, or ever whatever the corresponding Xbox or Dreamcast controller input's going to be when you need to duck or jump, when you're running or chasing after someone and they're just throwing obstacles in your way. Uh, it does a really good job of that. I, w- yeah, I, yeah. I would say so- the worst thing the game does <laughs> does a good job of is... Uh, managing well hang on specifically Shenmue 3 we go straight to the stamina bar the series in general it is too in depth it is too in depth for what the technology is and that is exactly why everyone needs to play it and that's exactly why it's a good game to play. It's a, it's a good game to experience. Yeah, okay, so, yeah. So, like, back to Shenmue. So, what you're describing to me so far, what it sounds like, is a really great-sounding story setup. Like, a really great motivation for the player to want to play the game because they want to see the story and they want to <coughs> figure out who the dude is, you know? But then you get into playing it, and it sounds like, it sounds like the they're striving for a level of like like they really want it to be super immersive, and they think that whether this is right or wrong, they think that immersion is like the tedium of everyday life, and so what you actually do in the game ends up being kind of tedious. Uh, it's 
it's very tedious, but it's not like tedious in the way that it depends on the game. Again, um, different things are tedious about different games. I'm going to say the first game is the best, uh, in general, the second game, the worst, and the third game, second best, uh, tedium is present in almost everything you do in Shenmue. Uh, it's kind of like what makes it build character and why you keep going because you want to see why the game is throwing so much at you. You want to see why, uh, or, or you want to kind of just be in the shoes of Ryo when he's told to go do this really fucking annoying task. And, uh, you want to know why the fuck the game put you through that. And a lot of times the answer might just be that's it's something to do in the game. <laughs> but it's like you, you you don't really know the path to take. Like it's not it's a linear game in that different areas open up at, at certain times based off of what you do, but it's very nonlinear in how you navigate it. You um you kinda just explore. You you, you you see who walks the streets at what times, where people hang out, like what clubs they go to at night, um that that kind of thing. Like it's when you think about the experience after you've sat down and played it, that's when you kind of really appreciate Shenmue. Because it's more about the narrative you follow the entire time and um god if 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 you want the character of the cult classic go english but if you want good voice acting in a game that you really want to follow do yourself a favor and just do japanese with subtitles have you have you i mean you've have you seen shenmo not really i i i've seen I've seen a pretty in-depth review of Shenmue 3, so I've heard someone else's opinion about okay. it. Was their opinion positive? No. It was negative then. <laughs> it was very negative. I think there's two kinds of people. There's there's people who are going to say something like that, like it's very negative, and then there's going to be the crowd of people who go, yep, play it and buy it. <laughs> Um, I assume most of the, 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 the not good things that that person reviewed are at was mostly dealing with the mechanics of the stamina and combat, because that's probably my two biggest gripes. Um, well, I mean, I, I, so this is someone else's opinion. Uh, so let, let me just relay it to you and let's hear what you have to say about it being someone who's actually played the game. So the review that I watched was a guy on YouTube named Super Eyepatch Wolf. And he had a couple things. One thing he took great umbrage with seemed to be the change in combat in the way that it was changed from being uh, very skill-oriented yes. in Shenmue 1 and 2 to something that is very stats-oriented oh, in Shenmue 3. Yeah, that's... So in, Spot on. Yeah. So instead of getting better at the game, thus getting better at martial arts, thus being able to kick guys' asses, instead it was a game about grinding up your stats. And it's the worst part by far, that the fact yeah. that I chose to stream it. <laughs> because, <laughs> my God, man. There's, there's a part, on, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a part in the game where... I was stuck for the longest time because I didn't know whether or not I was like, cause the only, 
out of exploring everywhere I could, the only plot progression point I could find was when I would go to the local fight arena where people fight for money and, you know, place bets and everything. You're supposed to beat everyone in that area um, at some point in the game, is what I was told. And I was like, well, nothing else is helping, is happening in the game at all right now. Nothing. So I'm in this perpetual state of not making a lot of money, and the money I do make has to go to gambling to use those tokens to enter into the fights. And then, well, hang on. How do I get better at the fights if I uh, <laughs> if all my skills are maxed out? Well, I have to go buy skill books. Well, how do I get skill books? You have to trade herbs for them that you have to then go pick from a field. That part doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But anyway, once you get those new skills, you can then go back to grinding at the dojo and doing that one skills input over and over and over and over and over and over. It's very dial-a-combo, you know, i.e. you hit a whole bunch of buttons and you'll wait for the events to play out. Um, and then you do that for about an hour and then you do horse stance to increase your stamina and attack and endurance essentially come together to form what's called your Kung Fu level. And this is what you're talking about. This is the stats bullshit. I'm sitting here in the game stuck in a permanent fucking catch 22 situation of, I can't get any skills uh, because I can't afford them or just at this point don't have the herbs for them. Uh, so I need to uh, fight and, and earn money to, 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 to progress the story. So here we go. I get in the fights. I, I get real far. And then the difficulty of the fights begin to scale real hard. And then that's when... Uh, that's when I can just unload a fucking fury of different blows all over an opponent, and maybe maybe they're at 75% health at this point. They hit me once, twice, three times, and uh, if they don't ring me out somehow, uh, I'm already dead because they hit way harder. And then, uh, yeah, you, you figure out, oh, shit, well, there's these things in the games that essentially act like healing potions. Um, it's like it's like a it's like a kind of beer, I think. Um, but it's the only game. It's the only food item that you can consume, which is how you get health in the entire game. In combat, and those cost about one about about ten and a half times the amount of money normal food costs. So you can't afford it. But when you do grind elsewhere in the game and you can't afford it, maybe you can go back to that fight. And then maybe that health potion will give you the the stamina you need to beat his ass fully and then get past that fight. You do that. You manage to do that. What happens? There's another fighter and then another fighter and they're way more than you and you have no way of making up that coin deficit to get these eating potions. So you go, fuck. Now that I've spent 25 hours doing this useless shit back and forth, going broke, not being able to afford my, my, my stay at the local hotel every night, so now I have to chop wood every morning and get money for that. Now I have to just figure out what the fuck else to do in the game. Oh, hang on. 
it turns out this thing in your journal that was uh, kind of not hint at, hinted at at all uh, <laughs> determined that there's a certain thing that happens over here at a certain point of day and you go over there and you solve it. It's very fucking frustrating, Shenmue. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, it, it's a game that's like... Shenmue 3 especially, they, they took that combat and they just made it dial a combo and hopefully your stats let it play out because otherwise you got a couple more hours to waste and I, I'm at this point man I, I, I forgot to save last time I put about four hours into it and turned my PS4 off I don't I, I'm at this point I'm too scared to turn it back on to see if the auto save feature got to it I don't even think the game has an auto save feature gotcha gotcha yeah 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 you know that sounds pretty rough <laughs> you should play Shenmue though you should buy it. I, I mean, the part of me is is curious about the first Shenmue game on on Dreamcast. And the good thing is that's the uh, best one. If if the game mm-hmm. doesn't get you by the very end of that game, you're not gonna like Shenmue. <laughs> so here's here's the deal. Three. I mean, honestly, you describing Shenmue three to me, it kind of sounds like a miserable experience, which makes me wonder. What the fuck was wrong with Shenmue 2 that it was worse? <laughs> yes, I'm very happy you asked this. <laughs> Shenmue 3 is uh, a miserable slog to get through, but it is beautiful. The environment is gorgeous. Uh, the <laughs> All the main characters and the women, mostly the younger women, are designed very well. Uh, and then... Other characters are hideous aliens wearing human skin and maybe extra robotic appendages to make it more convincing underneath that skin suit. Um, They're terrifying, and they're exactly... Kudos, though. They're exactly what you would kind of imagine would get drawn into a 3D world in the Unreal Engine when you think about the crazy cartoony anime faces that... Well, manga faces that are in manga... um, like just most outrageous like pointed like eyeballs going this crazy from like someone being scared at something like just like a startled will just be like the most insanely like visual thing it kind of looks like if that was a person that was walking around but the person was also an alien robot underneath a skin suit trying to imitate that as a human being (laughs) those those that's a pretty good description of the people all the everyone else is designed well okay So the so the character designs in Shenmue Two, you're not a fan. Seventy five percent of them, I'm a fan of. The ones that I'm not a fan of are way too hilarious to not like. And then some characters are just absolutely. I I don't want to even talk to that person again, because I'd say that's probably like two percent of the characters so far. But that that's like is that like the thing about Shenmue Two, or was there more wrong? Shenmue Two improved. Uh, or rather, I should say, added a little bit of a. They, they kind of threw you a bone a little bit because in Shenmue One, um, Shenmue One's difficult at first because you need to learn from the game that you need to be in a certain place at a certain time and you need to find out where it is. So maybe go check a map or something and figure out where it is on a map and then figure out, you know, based look at your watch and go there at a time. 
if you don't know where an area is and you can't find the map for that, it can be pretty hard to find that. In Shenmue 2, the environment is much bigger, so they added a little nice quality of life improvement, which was, excuse me, ma'am, do you know where blank is? Uh, yes, I was actually just heading there. Why don't you follow me? Okay, follow, and then you just autopilot. You can just l lay the controller down for like the next 10 minutes. It's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. Shenmue, right. Shenmue 3 doesn't really have the like a follow thing as, as much as I remember, but it, it's it's one of those games where it's open world, it's beautiful enough to where you're just going to want to move around yourself anyway. Um I wouldn't say it's a it's a it's a thing that I worry about in Shenmue 3, but the thing about Shenmue 2 is Shenmue 2 goes from this very rich and lively Japanese city, well little Japanese, little Japanese city like a town um with charming characters everywhere, characters you can decide that you don't like, characters that you want to interact with, characters you don't. Uh, Shenmue 3 takes that and says, all the characters here suck. Uh, everyone here is miserable. And this is a lot to do with the historical context of where they are. Um, not going to spoil the game, but where they are in Shenmue 2 is very... It was known at one point, I think it still holds the record as being the most densely populated human populated area on on the on the planet earth I, and i think it was i think it was like 30 times the population density of new york city um and uh it 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 got very lawless and very dangerous and very dreary um especially because it's hong kong it's china there's a lot of smog all this sort of thing uh so you go from this it's it's like the environment change it goes from very beautiful, lively, to very dingy, very gross, and most importantly, brutally repetitive. Um, I felt like at times I was playing a Silent Hill game based off of the environment where I was. And that is not at all paying it a compliment. Because in Silent Hill, I haven't played that yet, but I feel like the, the game probably does a pretty good job of making a spooky environment. This is just spooky by happenstance, and uh, there's not a lot to visually distinguish anything. We have to remember, we're dealing with a game from the first Xbox era. Shenmue 1 is on Dreamcast. Shenmue 2 is on Xbox. Um, it did come to Dreamcast, I want to say, in Japan and possibly Europe. I think it was Europe. Um but by that time in the U.S., by when it when it released here, it, the decision was made to just move forward with Xbox, um, which is good because I think it performs better on Xbox. But it's still a early kind of era 3D game where your goal is environment exploration. So you know when you're doing 3D environments, especially when you're limited in hard hardware wise, I think the general trade off is. How pretty can it be versus how wide open and expansive can it be? Not necessarily today with totally. procedurally generation, generated stuff like <clears throat> Valheim. We had to get it in here somewhere. Um, but back then, yeah, hardware limitation. You had to you had to sacrifice something. And man, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the game like the not only is the game in a dreary environment, but also the texture repetitiveness gets you lost easily in a place that's not visually compelling and uh the challenge is there 
there is a bit that involves QTEs that goes on for a very long time. And the QTEs get very brutal. And there is, like, no checkpoint <laughs> at all. So when you mentioned the, the wide open areas thing, so you're saying that I'm guessing this means that Shenmue 2 is a game with a lot of small enclosed environments with loading seams between them? No. Um, Shenmue 2 is wide open probably uh, about twice as wide open as uh, Shenmue 1 is. Oh, it's a, okay. It's a city okay. you're so in. It's... Um, so you explore a city. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. But the textures are super repetitive. The textures are so repetitive. It's, it's, it's very easy to get yeah, lost. Yeah, it's oh god, dude, it's super easy to get lost. Again, kind of more on the fault of the design team, most likely haven't having gone. How in the fuck do we program something like this? Um, probably mostly on that, but it's just still at the end of the day. Getting through it is like you're not getting through Shenmue 2 unless you, at that point, are a Shenmue fan, in my opinion, because it is rough. Um, Shenmue 3 improved upon a lot of how the game handles, feels, looks, uh, and how you interact with people. But, man, I miss that combat system. Fuck the... Fuck the stamina and stats, yeah. <laughs> I really... Ugh, God, that's the worst part about it. But like I said, Shenmue 4 thinks will happen, so saith you, Suzuki, and it's not going to be like that. It's going to be a little bit more modern with a lot more actual quality of life improvements, which at this point I think is a great decision because I don't think... I think had they not programmed Shenmue 3 to look and feel like like a classic Shenmue game with all the modern touch-ups, uh, people would have been pissed, like, real bad. Um, even though they know its sister series, Yakuza, is, is, is just a thing, I, I think they would have been pretty pissed if it, if it didn't stand out as a very uniquely Shenmue game, as only Shenmue could. Uh, but I think at this point yeah. now, now that we got all the fan service out of the way, and believe me, there's fan service. There's a whole museum in one town de- uh, dedicated to just, like, the people who worked on it and the project. Like, there's, there's, there's like, paintings. There's photographs of the team. Um, the guest book in your hotel room that you stay in has stuff that people contributed from from crowdfunding it like there's there's some youtubers i follow that are in shenmue 3's little guest handbook it's really cool um but yeah i don't need that anymore i want to follow rio i want to not hate following rio give me shenmue 4 as yakuza i think that's <laughs> i think that's all i can say <laughs> sure yeah, it, it's interesting to hear that you're saying that Shenmue 3 is like such a fan service game and that they kept so much the same when also the the combat seems like such a huge thing that's changed, you know? So now it's like we want a, a Shenmue game that is less fan service as far as like the clunky, it's just like the Shenmue that you remember, but we do want the combat back. Um, like basically what I'm hearing is that if you were going to modernize Shenmue, you should change 
a lot of the day-to-day humdrum tedious kind of bullshit stuff no 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 no, no. i would but keep you that. should that's 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 so like on brand for shenmue okay so what are you saying then that shenmue 4 will do as far as quality of life improvements reskin yakuza and give me the tedium of finding people at their their certain times of the day. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. I haven't even gotcha. I haven't even seen Yakuza. I won't even point that out. I, I haven't even seen Yakuza. I just <laughs> well, okay. That's a lie. I have seen it. I have not played it. I've not watched people play it. I've just seen clips, and I go, everyone loves this. This is the same team. They're capable of that. I know they can do it. Do yourself a massive favor, and once you beat Shenmue 3, play Yakuza 0. I'm going to. It, it's on PC, and uh, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I, I'm going to play Yakuza at some point because I want to, I want to, I want to support like developers I love in general. Um, <clears throat> there's, there's another. <laughs> this isn't related to Shenmue 3, um, but there is something. Um, people here in chat have been talking about that reminded me there's Shenmue online and that was supposed to be a an MMO Shen, Shenmue online it, it never got released but it was planned I think it says here in 2004 uh, and it was a joint venture between Sega Japan and JC of Korea I, I want to say when I heard about this it was like a card game which honestly probably wouldn't have done too bad, but I don't think it was a card game. It just says MMORPG, so I, I guess I guess uh, joining one of three clans led by Shenhua, Zhuying, and Wu Ying Ren, all significant characters from the story. So it looks like you just there's a weird clan system based off of some side characters of the series. No idea, but I, it never got released. Um, and then I think there was. There was one more thing. It was like Shenmue Universe. Um, Shenmue City. I'm sorry. It's a social game. Shenmue City is a game in the Shenmue series released for smartphones just in Japan. The game was conceived as a way of relaunching the game franchise by series creator Yu Suzuki. It was announced in the late 2010 for cell phones and for PCs, but only a cell phone version was released. Oh, okay. So... Was the it just says it just says mobile phones and mobage, mobage, mobage. Yeah, yeah, apparently mobage is a platform and a social network for games owned by some company named Dina. Okay, yeah. so I'm I'm get that must be like a like a Facebook for a different yeah for some so other country. So right? it says here Shenmue was conceived when Yu Suzuki noted the popularity of Mafia Wars. <laughs> okay well, yeah <laughs> oh okay i'm not gonna lie i would probably play that it sounds fucking terrible but i want to play that now i wish that got <laughs> made shenmue city are you kidding me okay anyway so it's it's very interesting what you're describing because it, it sounds like it, it sounds like none of these games are good <laughs> but you like them anyway um no. Uh, uh, from an objective, let me no, hang on. From, from an objective These standpoint, games. I'm gonna agree <laughs> with you, because I'm gonna say <laughs> one. Well, one I'm gonna disagree with. One is good. One is good if you know what you're getting into. Two. Yes, you're right. 
Three, you're half right. Okay, sorry. Continue. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I was gonna just rephrase to say maybe that none of these games are enjoyable. <laughs> you know, because because that's at least like more subjective. They are not enjoyable uh, on accident in the same way that The Room is a funny movie. Um, okay. Yeah, they yeah. are enjoyable on accident in the way that holy shit, this is ambitious and I am fascinated by how this whole experience that I can actually see being visibly pieced together very poorly. It's amazing how much I am invested in continuing, continuing all continuing along with the storyline. Um, I guess that's the, I, 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 I'm not going to call it one of those games that's so bad, but you can't look away. But I will say it is one of those games where you're, from the, from the get-go, when you get even moderately emotionally invested, you're hooked and you, you don't know why you keep playing. That's what I'll say. Sure, sure. So the other thing that I've heard about Shenmue 3, being, again, that I haven't played it myself and have only heard other people's opinions, um, I've heard that there are a lot of points where the game gates you based on money, where it's like you just need to get some money in order to progress. You need to buy a certain thing or buy something for someone or that kind of thing. So let me ask you, before... You know, what specifically I heard from this person, uh, what is the best way to get money? When the game suddenly says, hey, you need $1,000 for this thing, which is a lot of money, how how are you as a player supposed to get it? So, have you ever, uh, well, I'm sure you have. Uh, Gabe Newell once uh, said, uh, piracy is almost always a service problem. It's essentially yeah. the yep. same case in how you get money in Shenmo. You game the game by going, um, all right, well, if I go over here to this uh, this guy who, who has a gambling game, and uh, I just probability-wise work out, hey, there's a lot of gold that I can put at stake on this bet. That's essentially a 50-50 bet, and uh, I can take it. And I can say, all right, throw it. And if I lose, I'll load my last save game and do it again. And then have a fuck ton of money. Oh, no. That's. This sounds miserable. That's the first game, I want to say. The second game. (laughs) The second game does it a little bit different. Um now, wait, do the first two games also gate you and say, like, you need a bunch of money to continue? No. Uh. No, that's that's kind of unique to the third game. You can get you can get money because okay, that's that is what I'm asking about. Well, what I'll one. say, yes, I'm sorry, I was going to say the first games are not really an issue there, but in the third game, it's absolutely an issue. In the first game, money is just not as important, I would say, because you're not having to constantly buy food in order to replenish your health. Yeah, you need money for things like uh, I got to ride the bus to get to work, you know, shit like that. You need money for um fuck i don't know uh there's 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 a gotcha figure toy dispenser in town and i want to collect the whole set i need like a whole bunch of money to hopefully get all of them and then 
you can sell them or trade them. Um, cute little gotcha things, and and there's 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 very it is very characteristically Japan. Like there's lots of like. <laughs> I, I have speaking like I've been to Japan, but there's lots of street gambling places like Pachinko. Um, there's lots of like street places to get food, uh, and there's lots of places where you can. <sighs> Shit, I lost my train of thought for the thing I was going to say two things ago. But yeah, very characteristically Japanese. It, if you were to imagine, like, I want to walk down this. There, okay, best way to put it. <laughs> Sorry, there's no other game you can play where you you go. I want to know what it's like to walk down the street in Japan in 1987, and uh, have it be proje- better projected to you than playing Shenmue. And the thing is, it's still a game for like 1999, so it's rough trying to do all that. But yeah, three, fuck it, <laughs> fuck that system. So. Back to my question. In Because I, 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 I don't think you answered it. So in Shenmue 3, it is uniquely a problem where the game often says, you, you hey, need you need $1,000 to, to get to the new objective. So so what is the best way to get Oh, in Shenmue, in Shenmue 3, 3, yes. So I was going to say it's it's to a lesser degree in Shenmue 3, the same thing in the, the first one. What you do is you find someone who tells fortunes, not just any kind of fortunes, but specifically the kind of fortune teller that gives you a lucky color. Because once you follow the pattern of that color in your life, well, you'll have better luck. So you then take your color fortune. Your lucky color is blue, Dash. Well, have a good day. Fuck off. (laughs) So you go, huh, blue. And then you go to the gambling area. And then you go, uh, well... There's this game where this guy essentially it's essentially a game of roulette except it doesn't spin. He just kind of casts in a dot, uh, you know. Was it a I think it was like a, a a marble or something. Anyway, cast it in and it's four colors. And he goes, "Yo, what color do you want?" And you go, "Oh shit. Blue." So you put it on blue and the game actually statistically makes it like 75% chance you're going to win that bet. And then you just save your game. Max bet, do it again. Save your game. Max bet, do it again. Do it one more time. If you fail, go back to the fortune teller lady, get a different color, and then go do it again. And you have to do that over and over again. And then uh, and then you leave that area, and then the dynamic changes. You have to figure out how to get money in the next area. And it's, it's a bitch. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> so, and, and from what I've heard also, this isn't just a case of like, quick get the fortune then quick do the bet it's got that like i almost want to say like the nintendo like the animal crossing problem of it, it it's not it's not a quick menu it's you approach a person and a cutscene yep. starts and oh how are you today i'm good so you're a fortune teller yes i tell fortunes perhaps you could tell me my fortune well, today, yada yada. It's like a it's like a minute long cutscene for them to get to. Blue <laughs> is your color, right? And then, because you can't sprint in this game without losing health, you have to walk your slow ass over to the gambling area, you know. And then you go in there, and then you start a new cutscene with that guy. 
Oh, good day for betting, huh? Oh, what color would you like on the thing? Uh, you know, another 30-second cutscene to initiate the bet. He throws the, the, the marble in. It takes fucking 30 <laughs> seconds for the thing to go around the bowl. You can't oh, skip God, any stop. of this. <laughs> right? This, this is like what I... So it's not like just that what you're doing is... <laughs> Like, you're talking about this, like, martial arts story where you want to track down this guy who killed your father. So you're, but, but what you actually do in the game is walk back and forth between a fortune teller and a gambler to try to get money? To get food for the fights that aren't related to that (laughs) at all. Or maybe to just impress this this person in the village and have them uh, take them under your wing and teach you the next uh, ability you need to advance on to the next area or defeat another NPC or a couple, couple town bullies or something. Um, mm. Yeah, pretty much exactly like that. When you, when you described the dialogue just now, if you could imagine yourself as a uh, an old woman, same voice, by the way. You don't need to change it at all. Uh, old woman... Um, and uh, you were being mechanically driven by the xenomorph underneath your skin. Um, that's that's about what Shenmue 3 is like. Yeah, just like really, from what I've seen, yeah, just like super, just, it's like a dream. A fever the, dream. Like a weird <laughs> dream. The, the, the dialogue in the games, just the way that people talk and... Like the amount of pause between each line of dialogue that's just slightly awkward all oh, the yeah. time and that kind of thing. That's that's like yeah, that's yeah. that's part of its brand though. <laughs> like the 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 really yeah. bad English voice acting. Like and, and listen, Corey Corey Marshall is not a bad voice actor. It's just he now, you know, he's Rio and Rio is Rio forever. <laughs> And I, I don't yeah, think you yeah. could hire anyone else to do that. As bland as a map. <laughs> when you walk up to a map, right, there's right. actually that dialogue that you have to go through. Oh, my God. So what you just said, again, with cutscenes being unnecessary, in Shenmue 3's defense, you can mash A through it. You can get through right to the end. Um, but it does exist, and it is ignore- annoying. But <laughs> when you're in the first game, when you're in your house and you need to leave to go into town for the day. This is probably a little bit of uh of Japan simulator uh, Japan simulator like, like kind of like I said a little bit earlier, but it's also that real unnecessary cutscene shit. When you walk down the hall, okay. Here's here here's the walls that you see when you walk through the house. I'm going to come out from this hallway towards you because you're where the front door is but there's a step here and like a little area around here for shoes every time you take one step because it's only one step to that level that one step is a cut scene every time to take into and then you put your outside shoes on every time you go in and so out of your house yeah <laughs> There's like a seam on the floor that when you step over it, there's a cut scene of you walking over that spot. And is it because he has to put his shoes on or take his shoes off or put switch his shoes, shoes? Yeah, switch for shoes. Well, in Japan, you have inside shoes and outside shoes. Yeah, switching yeah. shoes to the outside shoes. But also, I think the game's programming might use it as like a, a, a cue point of uh, 
has Rio's file equal done event X at this time yet? Well, if then, uh, uh, this character will come out and say, hey, I got a, I got something for you to see. Let's go come over here and do this. It might, it oh, might, because gotcha. right. cutscenes do happen right there. Because like, that's actually like a logical point to put that in. Hey, uh, I'm, I'm Rio. I'm going to walk through over here and I'm leaving. Oh, hey, uh, before you leave, xyz you know that's it makes sense but that's like the minority of the time though so the majority of the time you're just robot walking to the door and then shoes and then okay now i can do the thing i'm doing (laughs) it's it's enough to drive you crazy if you don't know what you're getting into you have to you have to know well, and so so it's a cutscene to get up onto this thing, and then is it a different cutscene then to open the door and leave? Yes, and also in reverse. I didn't mention that. It's cutscene to open the door. It's cutscene to go to the step, put your inside shoes on, take your outside shoes off, not necessarily in that order, and then walk up the step, and then now you're back in your house. It's a process. Right. It's almost like an air. And then also... <laughs> And then also when you're leaving after you after you walk five feet away, then there's also a cut scene of you saying goodbye to your lady. Uh, friend, no, right? unfortunately, no, that that doesn't happen. Uh, Rio is real fucking terrible with women, real terrible. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you don't really you don't even really notice that until the third game too. You, I mean, you can do the dialogue options, but like they don't seem impactful enough, like to the conversation because it's just so awkward. And the lines are just so awkward in the in the first two games. Um, it it seems a lot more impactful in human human like conversation, and and that's kind of the bummer though. All those old characters, um, the voice act, the full voice acting team didn't return, um, and a lot of them aren't even in the game. They're just pre recorded telephone conversations that Rio has with that character to provide the you know the the player with some closure as to what's going on in the story um like hey yeah uh so-and-so's uh in this country you know you know like like they said they'd be they're living their life now that's what they're doing uh hey here's the guy that you love that one npc that you really fucking loved from the first game dude listen to what he's doing now it's kind of that sort of thing and you have to pay to use the phone you have to pay for phone cards uh, just another thing that you have to spend money on in that game and god damn it, the woman that you have to pay to get that phone working to to use it is also the same woman who runs the hotel. And my god, um, if you see a picture of her, just know, just just know that that's <laughs> oh, a human shouldn't look like that. Like I can't I can't believe they made <laughs> that one of the most common interactable NPCs in the game. And often not by your own choice. She forces you to chop wood to pay for your debt if you don't have money. And then you have to chop more wood later on to make more money. <laughs> it's a really so, good game. Yeah, there you go. So that that's that's Shenmue 3. A- and a little bit of 1 and 2. We, I just needed to provide the also. context, yeah. Because I, I, I don't think Shenmue 3 is a game that you can play and then just all of a sudden be into like it is not one of those games that you go hey i uh i heard shenmue's great 
maybe I should buy this new PS4 game. It's what I got. I sure don't have a Dreamcast or anything. They they made HD remakes uh, on the PS4, so that's not that's a non-issue. But you need to start with one and then two and three. Oh, you can actually play Shenmue one and two on yep. PS4. That's the way I played. Oh yeah, they're out on PC yep. now also on Steam. Aren't yep. they? Oh, okay. uh, I don't know if it's cool. Steam or Epic. There was a big debacle on uh, on oh, its release because right. Shenmue Three was an Epic game, right? It that okay? Or so so here's the thing: right. uh, they crowdfunded it. It exploded because Shenmue, and then uh, later right. on they announced and, like, they promised Steam they, keys. Yeah. Like, like for people who were backing the Kickstarter, one of the rewards for backing the Kickstarter would be, we'll give you a Steam key specifically when the game comes And uh, I think, I'm pretty sure there was also, like, mention of, um, now there, there, there was something else with the physical PC edition that was supposed to ship that then couldn't happen. Um I think they eventually resolved that. I can't remember, but yeah, they, they then at some point after all that, oh, those promises had been made. Uh, yeah, I think Epic Game Store just gave them a much better deal on uh, what their cut would be, and that's not the only thing. It's happened I, kind of a lot. I don't think it's it's just the cut thing. I think the the Epic thing is that they they get a lot up front. Mm, okay. Um, because that that's that's the defense of like the epic exclusivity kind of thing for indie developers, is that like if you if you're an indie studio making a game and Epic offers you exclusivity, generally they're giving you from what I've heard the what usually happens is they're giving them so much money up front for that exclusivity deal that their game is an automatic Kinda, yeah. hit or by hit it, it means they they recouped their costs or they made profit or basically they don't have to worry about launch day is our game going to sell enough to yeah to, you know be worth it they've already secured that money from epic and then on top of that epic's cut is more favorable than steam's is um so that's that's the defense like in favor of Epic, yeah. right but shenmue is a game that already got a shitload of money on kickstarter and then also they got deep silver to publish it so, like, why on top of all that do they also need Epic exclusivity? I, yeah, I just, I really don't know. I, I, I don't actually know too much about Deep Silver as a publisher, but are they, are, it, what's what's significant about that? Um, I, I've had pretty negative experience with Deep Silver oh, okay. mostly. Uh, first time I heard their name was that game Dead Island. Uh, which was like fine that game, except it had it had some bugs that were pretty awful. My roommate at the time he played Dead Island for like a hundred hours, and his save file oh. corrupted, and and then he just started the game over and played it for another <laughs> hundred hours, and then his save file corrupted Fuck. again. Now that doesn't have much to do with Deep Silver, but that was like when I first kind of heard yeah. their name. Um, but they. I, I just always seem to see their name coming up on like shady shitty things like uh, Mighty Number no. Nine. Was oh, the other one. that was again. Them? Well, they only published oh, okay. it, 
But again, th- this was another thing where it's like Mighty Number no. Nine was a game that asked for these numbers aren't exactly right, but it was something along the lines of they asked for two hundred thousand dollars and got like nine. Oh million, fuck yeah! Right from from Jesus. Kickstarter. So so why then did they need a publisher? Oh, you know, yeah. uh, 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 like that that kind of thing is super weird. And uh, and who was it? Oh, it well, was the thing Deep is, Silver. a publisher is going to um, have a lot more connections to supply chains and retail stores, I think, than the average just developer company will have. Yeah, so they probably just so need the expertise that, and and their normal. So. Th- there is an element of that. Like, that's why the orange box has an EA logo oh, on it. Oh, yeah, I never even uh, thought about if, that. If you have the actual... Or, or, li- or, like, Portal 2, right? Because even though Valve can release the game on Steam themselves, as far as actually getting a copy onto yeah. store shelves, they just had EA handle that. I didn't that, know that. Know? So there, there, there is an element of that. Um, yeah. I mean, God, and what a good deal that was. Dude, do you remember when the Orange Box came out? That I don't think there was ever a better value in gaming at the time. Like, It was nuts. That was actually around when I first got into yeah, PC me too. gaming. Because, um, yeah, growing up, I didn't have a powerful PC. Uh, we just had the family computer. And we we didn't get very many games for it. I had a couple. Like, I played a lot of StarCraft, yeah. the first one, right? Uh, but didn't really play very many computer games growing up. Uh, but then when I got when I got a gaming PC for the first time, it was right around the time that the Orange Box came out. And holy shit, what an introduction to PC Jesus. gaming! Half Life Two, Portal, and on a, Team on Fortress the Source 2. engine too. It's like the most at the time. It was like one of the most mm-hmm. optimized, great game engines to 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 build a game on. Yeah, the game ran so every game well. was smooth as shit. Uh, Team Fortress mm-hmm. 2. I, I I still think Team Fortress 2 might have the most hours logged for any game for me. Um I played so much TF2. It's it's easily top 5 for me. Team Fortress 2 is like um so throughout high school my friends and I every night we were up until like 2 a.m. playing Team Fortress 2. Yeah, me too. And then you know, and then we'd get just just a few hours of sleep before having to get up for school the next day. But it was like every night, Team Fortress 2 on voice chat, 24-7 Dust Bowl uh, only Dust servers. God. <laughs> Dude, Dust Bowl is the best multiplayer map of any game of all time. Wait, it's, Dust it's Bowl, so that's, the one, that's a control point map, right? That- uh, yeah. Well, so... It, control it was like attack and defense yeah. where there were control points but it wasn't, they unlocked it wasn't a, a tug of war right? um yeah, yeah yeah like like it was there stage one there's two control points the defense starts with them and the offense has to has to capture both i points. like this and yeah. once they do then you move on to stage two then you move that's on a good to stage game three, mode right that's yeah, yeah. So that's attack and defense. I think when you say control points, I think that specifically is the maps that have yeah, five that's control what I'm points. About. And you have to I push like and pull until you push the other team all the way back. That mode was when awesome. Payload came out, yeah, team that when Payload came out, I was like, this is the most addicting way I have ever played first person shooter games ever. What a fantastic yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Man, we so like Team Fortress Two went through such a, a, a yeah. story because yeah, when it when it first came out, there were only like six maps, but they were all bangers, and the only modes were attack, defense, uh, and control point and deathmatch, and capture the flag. Do you play deathmatch? And I think that was. Not I didn't. That was probably Same, what I did the least. Because of. Team Fortress Two, like yeah, it, it's deathmatch is very popular, but I have never been the kind of person that plays it for that. It's it's, it's not the game, kind of game for TF Two for me. Yeah, it's always been a much more objective yeah. oriented game. Um, you know, and that and that's where classes like the engineer get get oh, so my interesting. Best class, the way that they can use the objectives. Yeah, I should ask, what was your by most played class? Far engineer, by far. Same here, dude. It Same is such, here. That that is um, th- like no one under like everyone underestimates the engineer like the engineer's role. Everyone thinks okay, engineer, all right, get a get get a dispenser in the front line, put a tele or put a put a uh, put a fucking turret here to make sure we can cl- keep keep this area covered and we can manage the area. No, 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 no. Engie's primary purpose is teleporter and teleporter and teleporter and teleporter. Get the wrench that lets you put a teleporter out ASAP, and then you will have won the game if you get the other end out way earlier than the other team can. Like you just get such an advantage yeah. from from that movement speed that it's like the turret. I honestly. I don't even use that. I use that little stupid dinky little mini turret that you get when you have the robotic arm weapon because that thing does a better job of just annoying the piss out of someone than like the full-size turret where you go oh shit i can't be over here or i'm gonna die you do that and they're distracted and when they're distracted you can just go in and fucking clean them up with a shotgun while while you're just making sure your teleporter Mm -hmm. is just like literally never never having downtime just whoop teleport whoop just the whole front line getting to where you want them to be way sooner than the opponent can. It's like the whole point of the game. And it's like... Yeah, especially when you're the attacking team. When you're an offensive engineer, that's like where teleporters are even more... That was my specialty too, offensive engine. People said it couldn't be done, but I I proved them wrong. (laughs) I I was like, I don't care. I'll make 10 dispensers and throw them on the the fucking bomb or something. I'll, I'll make it so people are healthy when they stand around the bomb. You encourage behavior. So yeah. So speaking of the the robotic hand thing, because so when Team Fortress Two first came out, I mentioned it only had a few maps and it only had a few game modes. Payload wasn't even a thing yet. Um, also, every class was set. The engineer didn't have the hand thing, right? The engineer had the shotgun, the pistol, and the wrench, and that was it. The the medic had the flechette launcher, the the regular ass medigun, and the regular ass bone saw, right? And that was it. Every class just had their specific loadout. There were no hats. <laughs> there were no alternative alternative cosmetics. Every class looked a certain way, and they played a certain way. And very few maps, very few game modes. And I loved that absolutely loved it and then payload came out and just like you're saying holy shit payload was fun uh just the the like how well they designed it where 
first of all, the idea of like it's the opposite of capture the flag, right? Where you're trying to bring a thing into the enemy base. But then it's got all this design around it where the way that the track is laid out is a set path so the enemy knows how to defend against it. There, you know, scouts push twice as fast yeah, as other things. It works uh, so together. Well, there are incline, you know, if, if nobody touches it for too long, then it starts moving backwards. There are like uphills that if nobody's touching it, they fall back down. So you have to get it. Like, there's so many nuances to the all the characters the going, so push the fucking cart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh like, yeah yeah all the dialogue oh man get on the car yep. doom cops just so good and then um and then so so payload was amazing uh they came out with that arena mode that i thought was pretty fun also as far as deathmatch goes i did think that arena was yeah pretty yeah fun. that was the one where it's like deathmatch but it's like capture no the or, Cap- or king of the hill rather um Wait, no, no, hang on. Arena, I'm thinking of a, a, a different thing now. Uh, arena's kind of like Counter-Strike. Yeah. It's like it's like five on five or whatever, and there's just there's no respawn. So it's like real quick rounds of uh, of deathmatch. Um, I, I thought that was pretty fun. And then, yeah, King of the Hill was a mode that was added later also. So all of that was great, and that's why I played the game for years uh, and, like, just hours and hours, you know? But then they started to add new weapons and like an inventory system and uh, and like new loadouts for each of the each of the characters. Um, the first one being, I want to say, the first one was the medic, wasn't uh, it? Was Where... it the bone saw? Um, or was it yeah. the? No, it might have been the Kritzkrieg. Well, it was those three at the once. Set so dropped, the first yeah. update hit. The first update hit, and the idea was we're going to add a second slot to every class one at a time. And the first one was Medic. So instead of the regular Fichette launcher, you could get the, I think it was called the Blutsauger, uh, which was, it was like the Flechettes would yeah. heal you, but it couldn't yeah. get crits. There was the Kritzkrieg, which didn't uh, didn't make your partner invincible, but instead made them get all crits. And then there was the Uber Saw, which I don't even remember what the downside uh, of I it was. I think it was. I think there was it, a uh, target out my ass, but I think there was a slight loss to movement speed. Okay. Yeah, but it charged up your Uber when you yeah. hit someone with, and it was like, okay, so they added they added new stuff to the game. All right, fine, you know, ev- they're they're pretty well balanced, and it's just you know, it's it's one, it's still a similar effect, but it it added some spice to the game, you know. Uh, and then they did that with every character, you know, they added the force of nature for the scout. The and you didn't think um, they were very balanced, I guess. You, you're saying you're not a fan of this because I was a huge fan. I. So I did like it at first because I thought that they were pretty well balanced and the classes still played pretty much the same. Um, And, you know, it was just one option, one extra option for each character. It was kind of nice. Then, though, I think that they started to go too far and make it too bloated, right? 
nowadays it's like you've got this whole fucking backpack inventory system where you're getting multiple of different things there's hats and shit and other cosmetics every class has like 10 different primary weapons that they might be using that do there's different the crafting things system. and there's a crafting system and like it's just too much bullshit now yeah. as in like nowadays i feel like um First of all, first of all, it's a system that makes it so that a lot of players aren't playing the game anymore and a lot of people are just idling all the time when you're in a game and people are there just not even I playing anymore. I remember the idle servers. But yeah. then also, oh yeah, but then also you got issues where like, I just feel like it's no longer a game where you can see there's a heavy, a medic, and a scout. We got to think about how we're going to deal with this. Instead, it's like, First of all, I don't know what classes they are immediately because they're all wearing <laughs> silly hats. So it's like harder to identify them. And then also now, like, you don't really know exactly. You, you don't have a very great idea of what weapons they're using and how you're going to deal with that. Instead, like, instead, it takes so much more time to identify the enemy and how to deal with them. I don't I, know. I, it, it's, it sounds too much like, variance. Uh, okay. Well, so I'm going to agree in that. The game's stuff, the system, the crafting system, the items, it got to be too much um, for what it was. Because the crafting system is it's just this annoying, boring, menu-based crap, and you just have to grind for it. But I will defend it as the one game I've been always okay with uh, when it came to the... Um, the loot box mechanic. I never really cared too much about loot boxes but i loved doing loot box events like say because i'm a huge sucker personally for like halloween in general so like all the haunted costumes and stuff like that that uh typically only were bound to someone based off of the hat which brings me to my next point i i enjoy those a lot um the hats are one of you brought this up when you said it's harder to tell what class someone is now because they have all have silly hats on but that's the thing i would argue against i would say the hats were one of the best things they could have done because it offered it brought it brought some customization and some character and some light and color to a game that had been very stagnant for a long time that also has a very high player base that valve obviously wants to retain it brought the perfect solution to that in that it gave you a customizable option that doesn't change the overall look or profile of the character, like, say, uh, like the game's copy, uh, Overwatch. You can change entire costumes in Overwatch. There's, like, whole different outfits and everything that very well could That's change your perception point. of what character you're about to fight, which it can be a good or bad thing. You know, it's cool. I, I, I'd like to wear a costume that makes me think I'm a demo man when I'm actually like, uh, a, I don't know, a soldier or something. Soldier, you know, the one with the rocket launcher, not like soldier in T. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, right, right. Like, the overall build of the characters kind of stays the same. You kind of know how tall they all are and how girthy they all are. So The lab yeah, coat's going to stay know, the same the on the medic, you know. The 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 hats are are definitely less intrusive than something like an entire outfit change. I uh, <laughs> I do I do agree with you. And do you know you what there. was the craziest thing about it? 
people went fucking bonkers over hats. Do you know why? Oh, because oh, totally. of well, uh, partly of what I just said, it's the tiniest, tiniest bit of character you're allowed to show as your character in a match now for the first time ever. But they made them hard as shit to get. So like there was this huge explosion of demand of exclusivity of shit people didn't even know they wanted. It was it was such a good idea. Um and I I I, I fully yeah. admit I definitely went to work at in the in the daytime, went to school at nighttime, and my poor gaming PC was probably running at 80 degrees Celsius just trying to cool down in the idle server the entire time because it worked. <laughs> I didn't have to pay money for loot boxes. I could just be in the game and get it and then like eventually maybe maybe one day uh I could have a hat, you know, or something super special. Um but in terms of all the other items that they added that kind of changed the game up, like you said, like they, it actually did, it made it so they didn't have to add characters to an already established roster. And I know in TF2, they added characters from TF1, or they split up characters. Like, I think the NG uh, did different things in TF1, and I don't think there was a spy, and I don't think there was... A uh, scout. I, I'm. I had. I didn't play TF1, so I'm not sure. But I don't think they had all the classes. Yeah, I didn't really. Play um, it much I've heard either. it's nowhere near as good as TF2. But uh, damn it, man! It's 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 such a good, perfect formula, and they made it so they don't need to add characters like it's a fighting game to spice a fighting game up or something like that. It's just they made an option for a character to serve an almost entirely different purpose while still fulfilling the same role which is fucking cool. It's like the spy, okay, well, his whole thing is for a limited amount of time, he can be invisible in the game unless you bump into him on accident. Uh, and then after that time, he'll be gone. Or you can wear this watch, and this disguise watch will make it so you never lose the ability to, to be invisible as long as you're staying still. And if you stay still, it'll recharge the battery. And as long as the battery's full, you can be invisible when you move. So you can be a little bit more, less mobile a scout, a little bit more campy. You can get your backstabs in with an alternate knife that instead of like doing, uh, in, 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 instead, I think there's this one knife that makes it so you instantly camouflage yourself as the player you just backstabbed. So it's like, it's pretty cool. Or you can use this other item that when you die, it looks like you just had low health and that person just killed you when really you just instantly became invisible when and like you had a ragdoll of your own character behind you just fall on the ground and the game acts like you that person got a kill. It's it's cool. It never changes the functionality of the spy. And I would argue the the other items don't really change the functionality of uh the other carrot classes either. Except fucking demo men who just use the giant fucking freedom sword and just wanna charge and charge people now. <laughs> that's that's what I had the most. Because that issue changes with, the demo man was, for sure. Y- yeah. The the charge and targe on the demo man with the with the sword um and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I I, I think that was what I took it was the most fun. issue with. Cause m- because most other stuff, you're right, that, like, it doesn't change the function of the class all that much. It it just adds a little bit of 
spice to it that's generally pretty well balanced and a lot of the time kind of a good idea. Like the other the other spy invisibility to keep going with that. There's the one where you can't be there's the one where um when you take damage then you turn invisible, but to other players it drops a fake corpse yeah. on the ground. So it looks like they killed about, yep. you, but really you just turned invisible. Um, yeah, so, you know, stuff like that is cool, but man, yeah, like the, like the fucking swords on the demo man and stuff, I, I, you know, I, I think that is just specifically the thing. <laughs> I that understand I that. <laughs> I think it's a very fair point, but I don't even, it, despite that, despite that, that game had me coming back for a, a, a thousand hours. I think I have over a thousand hours in that game. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, sir, that's a third game. I didn't think we were going to talk about, but did you uh, did you want to add anything else? I I don't think so. I'm uh, I'm feeling you know. good. Well, guys, I think that's going to be our podcast. I am uh, I am Invictus Knox. He is Dash Retro. You can find him on twitch.tv slash Dash Retro, and uh, it for your, your Twitter is uh, twitter.com slash Dash Retro TTV. Or Just Dash TV. Retro TV, that's right. All right, cool. And I'm Invictus yeah. Knox everywhere, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Oh, God, I just started trying to do TikTok. You can find me on TikTok there, too. Um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places I'm Invictus Knox. Appreciate you all for listening. Thanks for the download if you all are listening later. And uh, if, you, uh, if you don't mind, if you're on Apple, just uh, giving us a little bit of a rating, if you don't mind. Uh, Spotify, I think you can do it there, too. We'll have these episodes up shortly. Appreciate y'all listening, and uh, peace out. Boop. And audacity is... Oh, 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 oh. Let's do another <gasps> oh, okay. sync clap. This way you can see the time discrepancy and perhaps sync it up this yeah. way, you know, by looking at the first clap and the second and getting... Well, I've already thing. stopped the video, so does that matter? Yeah, you'll do it with the Audacity yeah. files, right? Probably. All right, uh, what are we doing? All right, uh, 20. 20. Five, four, three, two, one. I feel like ours were off. Well, they were the first time. They also. were way closer in my ear. Let's do 40. Uh, Let's know. do 40. Well, okay. All right. Yeah, see? Cool. All right. All right, I'll stop the audacity now.